0: Uh, or in the country, or wherever you were, even here um, in, in the states, we have a special gift we'd like to give you next week, and some special recognition um, that Matthew's able to procure. And so, if you could be here for that, that would really be uh, a blessing, and it'd be a, a blessing to us to be able to honor you uh, in that way. Well, this is uh, Romans chapter 12. This is where Paul—we start to see why Paul wrote Romans. If chapters one through eleven laid out this promised plan of God, then chapters twelve through sixteen is 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 the uh, the the building that that those pillars hold up. So what we see that Paul describe in chapter fifteen of him going all the way to Spain and partnering with the Church of Rome in order to plant churches happens, and so we're in the application section of the Book of Romans, Romans chapter twelve. And what we're going to see this morning. In verses 14 through 21 is this idea again of living sacrifices. We saw in verses 9 through 13 of loving one another in the body life. Now he's going to look outward beyond the body to even those who oppose us. If I asked you, who's the one person who's your enemy? Or who are the people in your life who have made life very difficult for you? You might have some faces and names come to mind, if you're a human being. And the way we contend and handle wrong treatment by others can be more like the world than the new creation life in us. We have this pull, this, this, this conformity, these values that the world puts before us that's already in our hearts as it is, and when people treat us wrongly, there is a propensity to want to do the same thing to others. Romans has told us that we are a new creation. There's new life within us. We are living sacrifices. And the way we can tend to handle wrong treatment can look like us becoming very reactionary. Retaliatory. A bitterness that that grows and corrodes in our hearts. Being very combative, especially nowadays where it's very easy to do that behind your keyboard or behind your phone. Hateful, very angry, disturbed, distressed. And it can leave us without witness, without power in this world. It can cause us to isolate, it can keep us from moving in the relational living, and ultimately it can it, it causes, a shri- causes a shriveling of our heart instead of multiplying the gospel. And it diminishes the glory of our God in the face of evil. And so when we are wronged, unless we renew our minds, we will be formed to the world's mold and make the new creation of the power of the saving king look very anemic. But here's a new and living way that shows the saving power of the king in us as as living sacrifices. As Warren read, look again at verse 14. Now our relations with those who are uh, are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. First of all, I want us to see that we are to counter evil. We're to counter evil. And if we're thinking the world's way of countering evil, it's getting back, right? But the way we counter evil in Jesus' kingdom is very different. That word bless is the word that we get the word "eulogize." When you have a eulogy at a funeral, uh, you are speaking well of that individual. There are not too many funerals where you hear some bad things about that individual, are there? Funerals tend to have a way for us to try to remember the good things about that individual, to speak well of them. And Christians, of all people, who have been saved by the gospel of Christ, are to lead the way in good or right things. And they're to do this consistently. We're to be known as those who always pursue the very best in all areas. That's to be a mark of us. We're to speak well. You think of Jesus' Beatitudes. These words that are spoken here and, and written in ink in Romans chapter 12 are have been taken from what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Bless them that persecute you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. D.L. Moody, the evangelist of the of the 19th century, wrote this about Peter. Remember Peter, that failure and denial at the cross uh, there of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus goes after him at the end of John and said, and welcomes him back. But imagine Jesus, and D.L. Moody pictures Jesus after his resurrection, giving directions to Peter, saying, Go find the man who thrust his spear into my side, and tell him there's a much quicker way to my heart. Find the man who crowned me with thorns and tell him I should like to give him a crown of life. It's Jesus practicing what he preached, isn't it? He opened the gates of paradise for a thief who had been mocking him beforehand. He took a Roman centurion who was in charge of his own execution and through his his reactions to his crucifixion, through Jesus modeling this example here, this, this Roman centurion who was in charge of Jesus' crucifixion and nothing else to say but what? Surely, this man is a son of God. He disarmed evil through his suffering. Some of you may have heard of the missionary Adoniram Judson, who was saved from agnosticism here in New England and Massachusetts. And he went to be a missionary for the cause of Christ in Burma with his wife. And one time, after laboring there, with very difficult um, uh, times and, and very little fruit. He was captured by the government and he was driven by a whip across the desert in Burma until he prayed for his death. Another time he was in prison for two years and subjected to every imaginable barbarity and cruelty while his oldest child had smallpox. As his wife tried to care for her. Judson was in prison and his wife was on the edge of despair. And The date of Judson's execution by the Burmese government was announced and they smuggled Judson away. His wife was unable to know where he was. And by the time they were united because the execution ultimately got canceled, their cost of suffering was awful. They looked at each other, Judson and his wife, and he was scarred and maimed, worn down by suffering. Her black curls had been shaved from her head and she was dressed in rags and utter destitution. And yet this pair together never lost sight of their goal to love their enemies into the kingdom of God. Calvary love sustained them. And Judson had two goals by the end of his life. They were accomplished. And the first was to translate the Bible into Burmese and to see a church of 100 Burmese before He died. And that happened and beyond. Because though he was tempted to, and though I'm sure sometimes uh during his during this difficult trial in his life and unbearable pain, he must have been tempted to curse by blessing and not cursing. God used the judgments to disarm evil and show Christ's resurrection conquering power. Bless, Paul says. Bless them which persecute you. And it's not enough, he has to say it again. Bless and curse not. Bless and curse not. It's kind of like chess here. It's this idea here of of, of when, uh, when you're playing chess, that person moves their piece, you move your piece to counter that. There's a strategy the evil one has. And there's a strategy the Lord has for us to counter that evil. And that strategy is for us to bless and not curse. Think about Stephen, first martyr of the church. What an example of this principle in action. Stephen's being stoned to death, and he prays for those who are killing him. And he says, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Don't hold this sin against them in Acts 7, verse 60. As rock after rock comes crushing down on him. And you say, well, what did that do for Stephen? Well, it took him into the presence of God, where Stephen says, I see the Son of God standing in heaven. That's not all. His prayer was heard, too. Because we don't know what happened to everyone who was present at that stoning of Stephen at the day. But we do know what happened to one of them. And his name was Saul. Later known as Paul. The author of this very letter. Romans. And he was profoundly moved by the way Stephen prayed for his antagonist. And Stephen's death won. Or at least it began that, that avalanche happening. It pricked the heart of his tormentor. Because Paul talks about it in Acts 26 verse 14. Augustine once said, The church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. It's a powerful thing. But you may say, Well, how does this how does this begin to counter evil? How does it begin? And he answers that in verse 15. Look in verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Simple. It's not easy. And the idea of this is actively listen. Actively listen. We are very quick to make judgments, aren't we? We're very quick to form opinions. We are very quick to speak. James says we are very slow to listen. Very slow to listen. You need to be quick to hear. Actively listen. How do you rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with them that weep? It's hard to rejoice with people who rejoice because you're old pattern is to want to be jealous of them. Because it's not happening to you. It's hard to weep with those that weep because your pattern is, i got enough stuff going on in my life. Or maybe that's what they deserve. Or there are some things that led them to that. But Paul says very simply and clearly, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with those that weep. Matching them sincerely with joy and and grief. You think about John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, uh, it, it, it begins at the end of chapter 1, chapter 2 there. Uh, begins with joy at a wedding. You know how John's Gospel ends? Where Jesus is crucified. Palm Sunday, the day before, in John 11. It ends with grief at a funeral. Jesus rejoicing with those that rejoice and weeping with those that weep. And you can kind of think of it, illustrate it like dominoes dominoes. Some of you play dominoes on a Mexican train. You, 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 match, you match the number to the domino. You match your opponent's pieces. You lay a six beside a six. You lay a three beside a three. And the point of the game in dominoes is to get rid of your pieces, right? It's not to hoard your pieces. It's to get rid of your pieces and spending them so you, you can measure wind and, and, and giving them away, not taking in, but pouring out example Paul Paul the ultimate missionary in 1 Corinthians 9 says I made myself a slave a servant that I might win servants or slaves under who are under uh, uh, under slavery unto the Jews I became a Jew unto the unto those that were under the law I Became as one of those who wasn't under the law. That uh, to the weak, I became weak. To the strong, I became strong. He says that I might by all things to all men, I might by all means save some. Matching them sincerely. There's an act of listening here. This is Jesus to us, right? Jesus comes in the incarnation. Jesus models this for. You know, the most successful missionaries, the ones who have had breakthroughs in their missionary work, are the ones who didn't live at arm's length from those they ministered to. Hudson Taylor, for example, broke the mold when he decided, I'm going to be like the Chinese. He got his hair like the Chinese, he dressed like them, and they understood something. They understood and identified he was rejoicing with them when they were rejoicing. He was grieving with them when they grieved. Actively listen. But there, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Well, look at verse sixteen. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Here's what he's saying. Reevaluate your position. Reevaluate your position. What he's speaking of is this. <clears throat> in verse 16 where he says be of the same mind, uh don't don't uh, have have attitudes of pride, uh and uh and that you're of a higher place, a higher level than other people here, uh come under people, uh don't be wise in your own opinions. We got a world full of opinions. Everybody's got a thousand of them, right? And Paul says stupid way to live. Stupid way to live. Reevaluate your position. That idea of being of one mind is this idea. Be consistent in how you treat people. Think about how Jesus treated different people. The woman at the well and Nicodemus. The law keeper, Nicodemus, the teacher of the law and the woman at the well who broke God's law. He treats them both because they're searching hearts. He treats them both with the same consideration and courtesy and compassion. He was as, he was as kind to the dying thief on the cross. Today you shall be with me in paradise, as he was to his own mother. where he tells the beloved disciple, look after his mother. He was as patient with Judas as he was with his cousin John the Baptist. Consistent in people treatment. Reevaluate your position. How do you do that? You run to the low ground, not your high position. You run to the low ground, not your high position. Jesus is the way to grace. We have a, we have a world where everybody's scrambling for position, right? And looking for ways to use people to get there and move up that ladder. But the way to learn grace is to sit at the feet of Jesus. So just for a couple minutes with me, think about Jesus. He said this. Learn of me. For what? I am meek and lowly. Not powerless. Meek and lowly. Think about his life and his death and his birth. What did people say when they saw Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And he's, yes. Luke said the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. Some people said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Right? Isaiah said he had no form or beauty that we would desire. Religious leaders called him a friend of publicans and sinners. They said, how does this man know things we don't know? Because he's never had the education we've had. Jesus, talking among his disciples there, tells them that he was among them as one who serves. Isaiah 53 said, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Is that the path you want to take to grace? That's not the path the world wants to take to grace. That's not the path pride wants to take to grace. That's the path we look to. Jesus said himself, of my own, my own self, I can do nothing. He said, I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. He said, as my fathers taught me, I speak. Think about the example of Jesus. That's where you find grace, looking at Jesus. They say when when corn grows, when it's still green, it stands pretty upright. When it's ready to harvest, it's mature, it's ripe, it starts to bend. It starts to bend. What's the resume of a life that looks like this well look in verse 17 and 18 this is a life before people verse 17 and 18 recompense or give to no man don't pay back, no man, evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men if it be possible as much as lies in you as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men the fourth thing we see from this is the practice of life of integrity wholeheartedness, integrity that phrase there of, of um, uh, provide things honest in the sight of men is the idea of living your life with integrity. You're who you say you are, when people are watching and when people aren't. Think about David with King Saul. God told David, "You're going to be the next king. I'm done with Saul." But God says, "I'm not going to remove him yet." And David does nothing to pursue the throne. But Saul finds out that, well, what God had said to David. And so Saul has an agenda to murder David. And David hides, he flees here. He has opportunity to kill Saul, even while Saul's sleeping right in front of him. What does he do? He says, I can't do it. I can't do it. Instead of seizing the opportunity to do things his way, he sees the opportunity to glory to God. He blessed those that were persecuting him. He lived a life beyond reproach. David the King Saul, he didn't retaliate. Peter puts it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, as he's writing to believers who he's picturing here as exiles, citizens of another kingdom, living in another, living in this world, living in this country here, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.12, have Glorify God when he returns. Leon Morris, commentator, puts it this way. He says in this passage, Paul is calling on them to live out the implications of the good news. Their lives to be lived on such a plane that even the heathen will recognize this fact. They will always be living in the sight of non-Christians, and the way they live should be such as to commend the essential Christian message. Do we have an example of this of the Lord Jesus Go back to 1 Peter 2. And 1 Peter 2 and verse 23. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed and trusted himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live the righteousness by whose stripes, whose lash wounds you were healed. For you were a sheep going astray, but are now returned. There's repentance. return to the shepherd and bishop, the overseer of your souls. Peter. Practice integrity. But what do we have to believe at the root of all this? What's at the core of this? What's the foundation holding this up? Well, it's this. Look what he says in verse 19 through 21. Believe the king. Believe the king. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, give opportunity to God's wrath, is what it's saying. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Believe the king, verse 19-21. There's a faith action. There's a step here you have to take. There's a renewing of your mind. There's something you have to believe that has to be at the root of this change here. How many of you remember Hagar the Horrible? Is that is that cartoon still still out? Is it? Okay. Well, Hagar the Horrible and uh, for some of you people younger than me. Here it was a cartoon, and it still is, I guess. And uh, he's a Viking, and he's, a, he's kind of a cantankerous little guy. And he tells his son, Son, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Attack your enemy at once and waste him while, he, while what he did to you is still fresh in your mind. <laughs> and that's the way the world operates, right? Get your pound of flesh now. Everybody loves grace until it's time to give some. We like getting it. We all like giving it. And here's what Paul is saying. Replace your retaliation with faith. There's a lie you're believing and you want to retaliate. And there's a truth that, need, that needs to be replaced with. Retaliation, wanting to punish the other person, your hands here, is unbelief. And you replace this re- retaliation with a trust in God being the good judge and that He will make all things right. And you replace it with then right action. Paul, uh, G- uh, Peter excuse me, told the, the people in, and in Babylon, he writes to he says, Beloved, I beg you, as the sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. That's the wrong ways of doing things, wrong desires. The way you used to be before Christ, those bad patterns, right? Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against those evil doers, they may by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then he goes on to say, "You slaves, now think of a think. Can you think of a worse position than being a slave to a master? By the way, slavery and um, and, and and that form is not something that." that uh, the New Testament writers are saying this is a good thing, putting a thumbs up on. But they're telling those people, those believers who were slaves, how to operate properly. And he says, be submissive to your masters, not just to the nice master, but he says, also to the harsh ones. That's not the way the world thinks, right? That's countercultural. And he says this is commendable in 1 Peter. This is commendable because, uh, 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 if you, if you, because you're conscious towards God. If you, if you suffer because you did something wrong, you deserve it, right? Okay. You deserve it. That doesn't give you any rewards in heaven because you're getting punished because you deserve it, right? But he says, when you're beaten for your faults, you take it, because you know you deserve it. You don't get a credit for that. There's no rewards in heaven for that. You deserve it, right? But he says, when you do good, and you suffer, if you have done something good, and it gets distorted or twisted by somebody? It comes back at your face? That's when you really get ticked off, isn't it? That's when you really get mad. I did this for them for five years. Or every Thursday, I would, right? Just don't, don't look like work out in your own situation. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, Peter says. <laughs> and then he says something that's going to blow our minds, because we don't think of things this way in America. For to this were you called. We hear about calling, don't we? When we think about calling and say, God's called me to be a preacher, or God's called me to do this, or I feel like God's calling, me... Every one of us can say through gritted teeth today, God has called us to suffer even when we do good. Maybe it's your home relationships. You have a very difficult spouse. Negative. demeans you. Awful relationship. And there are certainly boundaries you need to make. And there are certain things here that you should not suffer. That you might need to get help with. But here's the mentality that needs to drive you. For to this I was called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. In other words, what is your reaction to it? There's a wise way to put up boundaries. There's, there might be safety measures that need to be taken. And whatever level here of, of, of suffering this is, right? I'm not telling people to just sit there and just be a doormat here. But there's an attitude that changes because there's someone who's inside of us who has changed us. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten Jacob's fist, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He bore our sins, not his own sin he bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by your stretchership. We were like sheep going astray but are now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now when Paul writes us in Romans chapter 12 he quotes from Deuteronomy in verse 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's the verse Mom made me ha- have to learn when I punched my brother. I <laughs> sit on the bed after I got my whooping, and that's the verse that I had to learn, so I hated it. And now I see the wisdom of it. Because that phrase there is taking, taken from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And In Deuteronomy 32, Israel here, it's the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Remember what Deuteronomy is about? It's a second retelling of the law after that earlier generation were bitter and disobedient and they died out. And so now you got the new generation, young generation. They're about to go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 32, Moses is getting them ready to do that. But God told Moses, he's not going to go in there because of his disobedience to the Lord himself or another thing. Or he didn't trust the Lord. But God gives the Israelites through Moses a poem, a song. And he says, "I want this poem to be stuck in your heads when you go there, <laughs> because when you when it when it's stuck in your heads, here's 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 what here's what you're going to remember. You're going to remember God, and basically this poem that's called the Song of Moses. It's quoted, uh, the, the saints are singing it in the Book of Revelation in the throne room. It's it's important song. Yeah. Basically tells them what they need to think about God and remember God, and." In the Song of Moses, he tells them, you guys are going to do some nasty stuff and the Gentiles are going to come and I'm going to let them have put you in captivity. And then you're going to return. You're going to return to the Lord. But it's not going to be your hand that punishes the Gentiles for punishing you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm going to do it. I got it. And Paul brings this up and he says, remember, remember the Song of Moses. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so he doesn't just leave them kind of static, right? Okay, vengeance is mine. I'm just going to sit here. He adds commentary on it. And he quotes from Solomon the book of Proverbs. And here's what he says in the book of, from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25. He says, Therefore, So, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Then here's your responsibility right now. Believe that, and in the meantime, therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. And nobody really knows what that phrase means, coals of fire on his head. Majority interpretation is this, that it will cause them shame, when you do good to your enemies, and eventually the kindness of God will bring them to repentance. That's the majority interpretation here. Really, it doesn't matter. Because the point of it is that here's what we're supposed to do. Just trust God and bless. Trust God and bless. Verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That word overcome is a word that's used in Romans chapter 8. Remember that crescendo of Romans chapter 8? We are more than what? Conquerors. It's a Greek word, nikayo. It's where Nike got their idea from. Conquering, overcoming. They took it from a Greek god, ripped it off a Greek god there. Overcoming, conquering. So he says, "Don't be conquered by evil." But here's the way you conquer in Jesus' upside-down kingdom: you conquer evil with good. There was a the disciple of John. His name was Polycarp, and he was a bishop in Smyrna, which is the area of Turkey, um, someone of the seven churches of that area there that, that John writes to, and. Uh, the, the government had their eye, out, eye on him and uh, they, they saw him as a troublemaker because of his teachings of Jesus. And they hunted him down and uh, they finally caught him. And they uh, they brought the soldiers to his house and arrested him. And as the soldiers came in, he knew they were coming. He was waiting for them. And he invited them in. And they said, we're going to take you away. And he said, that's fine, but first sit down. And he made them a meal. He made his... Arresters a meal. He said they looked hungry and tired from chasing him. And he made them a meal and he ate with them. And after they ate and they had enough, he said, all right, you ready to go? He said, all right. Yeah, we're ready. So they tied him up and they took him and eventually he was burned at the stake. Legend has it, that one of those soldiers became one of the bishops in church history. There was a not being overcome of evil, but conquering evil with good that happened. This doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus conquered and made us conquerors. So we must believe the king that his way is right and true. And it was in this very way that God reacted at Calvary, isn't it? Think about it. The cross of Jesus Christ representing the the highest manifestation of hatred. Right? The Son of God. Here's what we're going to do when God comes. We're going to put Him on a cross and kill Him. And then man's man's heart toward a good God. And at the same time, Jesus flips that script here. And that cross at the same time represented the pure hatred from man, displayed pure love in the heart of God toward man. John Phillips writes this, The very spear that pierced the Savior's side drew forth the blood that saves. All well, the nations were raging as Greg read, and the people imagining a vain thing. God did not move to destroy them. He didn't destroy Adam when he sinned, but he promised a Savior, and he began this long course of history so that man could have an opportunity upon opportunity to repent and turn to God. He didn't destroy us, but we were ungodly sinners. He came from heaven to save us. He came into the camp of his enemies and allowed them to do their will against him in order to establish the foundation of our redemption. While we were yet without strength, when we were enemies, Christ Died for us. And he did not save us by demonstrating some mighty act in a miracle, did he? He saved us by letting us kill him. It's astonishing. And when he rose from the dead, you would think, alright, now I'm going to get him. Here I am. Right? Like a rocky movie. He didn't judge those who behaved so wickedly against him. This Jerusalem that he held out his arms to when he died was still the center of his loving thought. Because he tells the disciples to go and tell. To make disciples of Jesus. And he tells them to begin at Jerusalem. Was that heaping coals of fire upon the heads of his enemies? And it melted some hearts, didn't it? You and I. It still does. And it can through here. Through you. John Perkins was born in Mississippi. He dropped out of school in third grade. He left the south of California when he was still a teenager. He became a Christian in California. He came to Jesus. And he went back to Mississippi because he believed God was calling him to preach the gospel. A lot of the people he had been raised with poor. And he helped them. And on February 7, 1970, a Saturday night, a band of black college students had taken part, riding with them, was pulled over, and the authorities took them in Brandon, Mississippi, and the students were arrested. And Perkins uh, and two of his associates went to the jail the post bail, but that when they arrived, they were surrounded, and they were beaten by some of the authorities. Perkins hadn't been doing anything wrong. All he'd gone to do was post bail. But he was looked at as a figurehead, a leader. He was beat for most of that night, and some of the others they stomped on him and kicked him in the rib, ribs and the head and the groin. One officer took a fork over him and said, Do you see this? And he jammed it up his nose and then down his throat. And for part of that evening, Perkins was unconscious and so mutilated that the other students in the cell thought he was gonna. I that evening. It was wicked, it was awful. But it did something for Perkins. Because up to that time he had been in Mississippi just to reach his own people after he'd gone back from California. It was all they would allow him to do. The churches wouldn't let him in as a black man in Mississippi. They were closed him. But the beating changed him and it gave him a new vision. He wrote, I remember their faces so twisted with hate. It was like looking at demons. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to those people. Those policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. It made them feel like somebody. When I saw that, I couldn't hate back. I could only pity. I said to God that night, God, if you'll get me out of this jail alive, and I really didn't think I would. Maybe I was trying to bargain with him. I really want to preach a gospel that will heal all people. His recovery took some time. He was assisted by a pair of compassionate doctors. There's some emotional healing he needed to have as well. But he realized the same gospel that freed him as a black man frees whites, frees everybody, and that real justice, if it was to come, would come only as people's hearts were made right with God. And God's love motivated them to be reconciled with each other. Perkins says this. Now that God had enabled me to forgive the many who had wronged me, I found myself able to truly love them. I wanted to return good for evil. And he did. He's got a ministry that flourishes and, flourishes and thrives today. It's continuing. And it's a case of, a, of, of someone refusing to be overcome by evil, but instead overcoming evil with good. So let's summarize what we said here. The way that we can tend to handle treatment, wrong treatment by others, can be more like the world than the new creation that we are. We reactionary, combative, uh, frozen with our relationships, bitter, hateful, selfish, isolating, without a witness, shriveling instead of multiplying, diminish the glory of God in the face of evil. And everybody loves grace, right? Until it's time to get some. And when we're wronged, unless we renew our minds, we'll be formed to this mold here and make the new creation saving power of the king look sickly, look anemic, look without power. And so Paul says, counter evil, actively listen, rejoice in those that rejoice, weep with those that weep re-evaluate your position, our tendency is to look down and categorize. Practice integrity. Believe the King. So God's Word is telling us this. That we are to let God lead and conquer evil through His power. We're not to be conquered by evil, but we're to conquer evil with good. Just like our Savior. I wonder this morning, maybe you're here. Your personal rebellion against the King. You've never thought that it is, that's what put Jesus on the cross. Oh sure, you've known about Jesus or you grew up in a Christian home or However, your connection is, but you've never thought of your sin as being an act of rebellion against God that put him on the cross. And yet, Jesus' word is still true that he beckons all those who have sinned against him to come and have a seat at his table. To receive his work on the cross in your place, to see him as a substitute. And to walk in new life. God's call is always to return. You are a sheep who is astray. God's call is to return to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. There's lots of stories in here about people who had some difficult times forgiving people. I've heard some of them. They're powerful, they're amazing. But God helped them and lifted that load. There's all kinds of stories in here about how people were wronged against. And if you're a human being, that's gonna happen, isn't it? But what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna believe? What lie are you gonna replace with truth? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning.